BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Melania says we got to stop the bullying. Yeah, why doesn't she tell our old man? What do you say, folks? <laughs> On a Thursday, September 21, here we go. The Bill Press Show, how about it? Good to have you with us and great to see you on this Thursday. Yep. House is out of town. The Senate's out of town. But the Senate's still rumbling toward repeal of Obamacare. They're going to try yet again. They're very, very close. we got to do everything we can to stop them. And we will, uh, with the help of, let's hope, Rand Paul, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski. Pardon me, can't count on John McCain this time around. No way. On that, we will also bring you up to date on the latest on uh, Hurricane Maria, which really hammered uh, Puerto Rico, as well as the Virgin Islands. And up in New York, Donald Trump basking in the glory of being able to show off in front of all the world leaders, making a total ass out of himself, embarrassing the United States. Coming up with uh, fictitious names for fictitious countries in Africa, and even bragging about Africa, that's a place to go if you want to get rich. That's what Africa is all about, just like he ran for president so he could get even richer than he is. Ah, you will want to jump in on all of the above. You know how to do so. Give us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Look forward to hearing from you. We'll get right into all the news of the day, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Thursday morning. We begin with an update on Hurricane Maria. Here are the facts as we know them. It is the strongest hurricane to hit Puerto Rico in 80 years. And it has completely paralyzed the island. The Category 4 storm hit Wednesday morning, yesterday morning, with 155-mile-an-hour winds. As of now, the entire island is without electricity, and it could take weeks or months to have it fully restored. Maria has caused at least 10 deaths across the Caribbean, including seven in the hard-hit island of Dominica and two in the French Caribbean territory of Guadalupe. This, I mean, the, the, the real big thing that stands out for me, Bill, is that it really could take weeks or months for all the power to come back. Oh, oh And what yeah. happens in the interim? Right. And by the way, they're getting into uh, tourist season, right? Because it's the winter months where... 
Americans flee to the Caribbean for sure. Um, get that sun and warm weather, uh, and uh, they're going to be. I mean, you've seen the destruction of resorts. I mean, homes, resorts, everything. Hotels just destroyed. The thing that makes this even more painful is that, as many of you likely know, Puerto Rico is in a serious debt crisis as well. Has been for like 11 years. And the U.S. still hasn't really done much about it. Let's go to baseball with a scary incident yesterday at uh, uh, in New York City. Uh, Fan safety has been a particularly delicate subject in Major League Baseball back in 2015. We talked about this on the show. I remember a fan was seriously injured at Boston's Fenway Park when a broken bat came flying into the stands in 2016, the next season MLB instituted uh, a policy, which said you had to have protective netting that extended to at least each dugout, right? The inside corner of each dugout. Right. right. Which hypothetically would um, stop the, the harder hit foul balls from hitting a fan or a broken bats. Yesterday, however, a young girl was hit in the face by a foul ball uh, off the bat of New I York saw Yankees the video. player. It was, it was stunning. Todd Frazier, I still haven't actually watched the video. Obviously, don't. don't. <laughs> I, I don't have no interest it. in it. Uh, this was a young girl attending the game with her grandparents. The girl was taken to a local hospital. As of this morning, there's no word on her condition. In fact, the we Yankees said last night that she was going to be fine. Poor little kid, but you know. Yeah. Ooh. Still, either way, apparently earlier this year, the Yankees had explored. Uh, a decision to extend the netting even further, they had declined to do that. I think they'll be rethinking that, and hopefully this will help wake up other teams around the league. I got to tell you, when I go to a ball game, man, I'm always afraid of those foul balls. Eyes open, man. Uh Uh-uh. And I'm under my seat. I'm not trying to catch a damn thing. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, hey, what do you say? Thursday, September 21. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. That's me. Good to have you with us. Great to see you today. And thank you so much for joining us for our roundtable of the news of the day. We originate here in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Uh, We're sort of home-sitting, keeping uh, track of what's going on here uh, in Washington, while everybody else is out of town, uh, Donald Trump still up in New York. He heads down back to his uh, palatial uh, golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, uh, later in the day to spend uh, most of the uh, another night, and then he goes down to Alabama to campaign for Luther Senator Luther Strange, who is losing uh, to that crackpot Roy Moore. Uh, meanwhile, the House and the Senate are out of town, but a lot of senators have stayed in town to try to whip up support for the uh, Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy disastrous bill, which will um, d- destroy Obamacare and put what is now estimated of over 32 million Americans out of health care. I mean, yes, 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 this is a disaster. So uh, we want to hear from you about what you think about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter. Love hearing from you, at BP Show. Uh, As we join you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. As we join you on Free Speech TV, hello out there on DirecTV, and also on the great WCPT, the progressive megaphone of the greater Chicago area. 
welcome all, um, and as well as our listeners on Indiana Talks as well, too. We should uh, add that. Good to have you with us. Yes, the uh, quick update, uh, Hurricane Maria slamming Puerto Rico, that entire island without electricity now. It's the worst storm to hit Puerto Rico in almost uh, a century. Um, and uh, the uh, now the storm also hit the Virgin Islands before it got to Puerto Rico. Uh, and the last I saw, it's about 50 miles east of the Turks and Caicos. What is it? Turks and Caicos, I guess is how you pronounce it. Right. Uh, it looks like heading then up the Atlantic coast like uh, uh, Hurricane Jose did without striking the mainland uh, United States. And meanwhile, the other natural disaster, uh, people still digging through the rubble uh, in Mexico City and areas surrounding Mexico City. Uh, the death toll keeps climbing there, 22 children alone in that one elementary school, and they're still digging now. Uh, to try to reach kids buried in the rubble of that school. It's just uh, the video down or the yeah, the video, uh, the pictures down there from Mexico City just are heart heartbreaking. Uh, and here in Washington, before we get to uh, Donald Trump and the uh, and the United Nations, the Robert Mueller investigation is in high gear, folks. Some uh, important information came out yesterday. They uh, Mueller is first of all, he has assembled now probably his entire team. And what is clear is that this guy is taking his job very seriously. Uh, the Russian investigation is by no means going away or winding down. It is just gearing up. He has assembled uh, a crack team of some of the toughest, hard-ass prosecutors uh, in the Washington area, all working for him now. And it looks like they are, well, it doesn't look like they are clearly pursuing a dual course. Uh, one track is Paul Manafort uh, and any collusion between him or anybody else around the Trump team and Russian officials to try to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. On that track, uh, we know that um, the FBI, uh, under Mueller's direction, uh, broke into Mueller's, uh, to Manafort's home while he was... Uh, while he was asleep in bed, um, rousted him, took his computer, his laptop, uh, files, and told him that it looked that he'd better get ready because he was likely to be indicted. Uh, it leaked out yesterday that they are going back looking at emails and and um, uh, relations between Paul Manafort and Russian officials back 14 years. But most tellingly for this investigation. Uh, they have uh, uncovered emails between Paul Manafort uh, and Kremlin officials during the Trump campaign as early as uh, in July 19, 2016 um, and beyond, where Manafort is promising them private briefings. Tell the people in the Kremlin we can arrange private briefings to talk about the campaign, private briefings if they would like, because we want them to know what's going on. I mean, if that's not collusion, I don't know what is. The question is, who else is involved? Uh, they are also um, looking at and have demanded of uh, Mueller's people all the documents related to the big meeting uh, that Donald Trump Jr. had in July 2016 at Trump Tower uh, with uh, representatives of the Kremlin as well. 
So they're clearly going after um, the um, collusion uh, track. And the other track is the obstruction of justice track. By the way, on the collusion, we know their emails between Paul Man- and and remember Paul Manafort they wiretapped him twice during this period for one period of time they learned so much they went back to the FISA court and said we need to put another wiretap on him this was the FBI even before Mueller was uh, was appointed but they've got all that information so we know Manafort was in touch with the Kremlin what we don't know is hasn't leaked yet we haven't been told yet what Paul Manafort may have told Donald Trump about all of this, because clearly, as campaign manager, he was talking to the candidate on a daily basis. And uh, what we've seen of Trump's management style, uh, it's unlikely that anything would be going on around there that Donald Trump didn't himself know about. I'm just, you know, sick of Trump supporters saying that Trump and the people that are around him are patriots, people that are looking out for the better good of this country. When you're trying to undercut an American election and throw the election uh, to a friend of the Kremlin, you're not a patriot. No. And I'm also glad that that Bob Mueller is looking at that May meeting the day after Comey was fired, where Trump brought Russian officials into the Oval Office. The Oval Office. Yeah. Well, that's the second track. The second track is obstruction of justice. And Mueller has said they've, they've requested documents on in 13, get this, 13 different categories uh, from the White House. They've, they've requested these documents, which include information on the firing of Michael Flynn and of James Comey, which, to your point, Jamie, includes that meeting the day after he fired Comey when he has Ambassador Kislyak and, Prime, and Foreign Minister uh, um, uh, Sergei Sav. Savrov. Savrov. Mm, that's close. I think be, it might be Lavrov. another way around. Lavrov. Yeah, there you go. Uh, in, the, in the Oval Office, and he said he fired Comey because he had to get that monkey off his back, that Russian investigation off his back. So Mueller is clearly looking again at collusion and obstruction of justice. And the obstruction of justice, the collusion, you could see that he might get Manafort or Michael Flynn. And not Donald Trump on that charge, on that count. But the obstruction of justice goes right to Donald Trump. Why did he fire Michael Flynn? And particularly, why did he fire uh, James Comey? Uh, so it is, uh, it is full bore. And we also remember, of course, that, Donald, uh, that uh, Robert Mueller has convened two different grand juries. Uh, and he has also put out, uh, let the White House know he hasn't subpoenaed them yet. But he has let the White House know that he wants to talk to basically everybody who worked around Donald Trump, uh, including Sean Spicer, Ryan, the, Reince Priebus, Steve Bannon, uh, the people who are either there, still there, or uh, have, have, have left the White House. So uh, just, uh, just uh, update on the Russian connection. It is, uh, it is very, very much, again, in, uh, uh, in high gear. Uh, and all of this happening while Donald Trump is still up at the uh, United Nations. Um, yesterday, pardon me, he hosted a meeting of uh, African uh, leaders, showing once again his total ignorance of uh, foreign policy uh, and of most of the rest of the world. Now, so what does Donald Trump um, think about Africa? Well, remember, you know, for Bill Clinton, 
It was um, Nelson Mandela, South America, South uh, uh, South Africa, uh, countries yearning for independence and for, for democracy and throwing off the shackles of colonialism and helping those nations on the road to democracy. For George W. Bush, it was that plus heroic effort on George W. Bush's part to provide American aid to fight the scourge of AIDS uh, in Africa. Um, Bush doing as much as, if not more than any other president before him on that score. Uh, And Barack Obama continuing both efforts. And of course, Barack Obama, um, no, he wasn't born in Africa, Donald Trump, but certainly his father was, roots there, going back to his homeland and uh, and to the continent where his uh, his father's family came from. Um, so with all those connections, uh, and all of them, again, for the people of Africa yearning to join um, the developed nations uh, and particularly on the road to freedom and democracy, not all of them, but, um, but we were there on the side of those who were and on the side of those people who were trying to overthrow uh, the dictators that still remained in Africa. What does Donald Trump think about Africa? Well, it's a whole different approach. For him, Africa is nothing but a place for white Americans to go to get rich. Africa has tremendous business potential. I have so many friends going to your countries trying to get rich. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, Bill, you know, Donald Trump may have been receiving emails from a Nigerian prince offering him a proposal that he just could not turn down. So, yeah, you know, to it, build a Trump Tower. He's yeah. fallen for this phishing scam that just, you know, started like 10 years ago on the internet. So, uh, I, I get uh, it. I get it, Donald. I'm <laughs> I'm sorry you're going through this. <laughs> but, you know, so he considers Africa just like he considered the White House. Mhm. How can I make more money for my hotel in Washington and my hotels around the world? Well, if I ran for president, as he said one time, if he ran for president, he would be the only person who could run for president and make money doing so and make money while president. And, of course, that's what he is doing, cashing in every day. Um, And Donald Trump is so infatuated with Africa that he keeps he he invents new countries uh, in Africa where he can get rich. In Guinea and Nigeria, you fought a horrifying Ebola outbreak. Nambia's health system is increasingly self-sufficient. <laughs> so <laughs> all the reporters went running to their iPhones to find out where's Nambia. <laughs> Let's see. Let's Pulling see. up the uh, map yeah, of know, Africa you know. <laughs> here, see if we can find Nambia. You, hmm. you know. You know. You know, there were a lot of people there who, when he said Nambia, they scratched their head and said, Jesus, I never heard of, God, I never heard of Nambia. Where's that, right? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't uh, see Nambia yeah. on here. Yeah, that's I see because, Nigeria, yeah. Libya. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, no Nambia. Uh, that's because there ain't no Nambia. Nambia's health system is increasingly <laughs> self-sufficient. Oh, God, what an embarrassment. By the way, he is just sucking up all this attention up there um, at, at the U.N., can't can't get enough of it, uh, and Melania is doing her bit uh, while she's at the uh, at the UN. She is um, she gave a little talk, a luncheon talk yesterday. She hosted a luncheon for the uh, spouses of the world leaders who were there, uh, and where her message it was like the one speech that she gave during the campaign. Remember, uh, was all about bullying. 
No children should ever feel hang hungry, stalked, frightened, terrorized, mm-hmm. bullied, isolated, or afraid, with nowhere to turn. Especially you should not feel isolated. Um, yeah. How could you give a speech against bullying in the so- using the social media to bully people without mentioning the biggest bully of all? I mean, it is just outrageous. I, I, this is a guy, remember, okay? Uh, low energy Jeb, Lion Ted, Little Marco, Crooked Hillary, Rocket Man, on and on and on. Jeff Sessions should never have hired him. I mean, that's all he uses his social media for is to ridicule, to attack, or to, <coughs> in her word, bully uh, and Melania. Uh, the, the the gall of her to make that her issue to talk about bullying uh, when she's married to the biggest bully of all. They said to Marco Rubio, are you having fun? He's sweating like a pig. I never saw a guy sweat like this. Yeah, yeah. This is my, right. Saying that uh, Mika Brzezinski, right, was bleeding on the face because of her th- bleeding uh, on her face because of her, her facelift. What he said about Megyn Kelly uh, on and on. Um, Oh, you Melania. know, she could pick any other topic any other to issue, champion right, literacy, you know. you know, school lunches like Michelle Obama. But no, we're we're gonna go ahead and, and pick the one topic that her husband has no master of whatsoever. There she is. Yeah. Uh a little bit of good news, by the way, uh on the Donald Trump front. Um Politico yesterday releasing its uh, latest poll, the Politico morning consult poll shows that uh, what do you know? Donald Trump's uh, approval rating has actually gone up. Uh, not a lot, but it went up from 39 uh, a month last month to 43 this month. And uh, a similar little bump in the Gallup poll. Uh, Gallup poll went up from 35% approval rating to 38%. Uh, so he's somewhere in the 40% approval rating now, uh, averaging them out. Uh, that probably is due to uh, Donald Trump's uh, and the federal government's response, uh, which was a good response, a solid response uh, to Hurricane Harvey and to Hurricane Irma. FEMA did a great job there uh, in cooperation with the uh, with the states, uh, the local responders in in the uh, in the states impacted as well. Um, but it's worth pointing out that that. for Politico and 38% for Gallup still means that Donald Trump has the lowest approval rating uh, of any president in the last 75 years. So it's not a lot to brag about. It just uh, bumped up uh, a little bit. Meanwhile, most of the attention here in Washington, D.C. is still on this effort to repeal uh, Obamacare, the Graham-Cassidy bill, And look, first of all, make no mistake about it. You know, you cannot exaggerate how bad this bill is. I mean, to say it's worse than the first bill doesn't do justice to how bad it really is. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said it yesterday that this bill is so bad that we all, it is like all hands on deck to stop it. This is really an emergency. It's all hands on deck. Red alert, all hands on deck. Everybody's on board uh, to make this fight. We've got to stop this bill in the Senate. 
and if red, not, in the house. Yep, red alert, red alert. So here's what it will do, just so you know. First of all, Medicaid, forget about it. It's gone. Medicaid expansion, 13 million people signed up, were able to sign up for Medicaid under Obamacare. They didn't make the cut before. Obamacare expanded the eligibility. 13 more million people signed up on top of 70 million who are already on Medicaid. Why are they on Medicaid? Because they their income level is this, this is the poor or the lower middle class, if you will, people who cannot afford health insurance at all and are not yet old enough for Medicare. Uh, and they're covered by Medicaid against the largest, the biggest, and most cost-effective health care plan in the country, $70 million and $13 million on top of that, a total of $83 million now under Medicaid. The $13 million lose their health care immediately, and for the other $70 million, Medicaid basically disappears because the Graham-Cassidy bill does away with Medicaid funding, and instead it gives the states a block grant, which the states can use for health care, have to use for something healthcare related, but they don't have to use for Medicaid. They don't have to use it to help the poor. They can use it for anything they come up with. And all the states will do different things with it. Medicaid, most people in nursing homes, nursing homes covered by Medicaid, gone. Any poor people, the only health insurance they have, the only way they can get care is Medicaid, gone. The other thing, uh, the uh, Graham-Cassidy bill. It basically destroys all the good parts, the popular parts of Obamacare. you got to understand that. Subsidies for those people who didn't qualify for Medicaid because they made more money than that but didn't have quite enough money to buy an insurance plan, through the state exchange or the federal exchange they could get a subsidy no longer. Under Graham-Cassidy, subsidies are gone. First of all, state exchange is gone, federal exchange is gone, and any subsidies, gone, gone. Uh, then what uh, the Graham-Cassidy does on top of that is it says if you're a state, you can get a waiver. Um, so insurance companies in your state don't have to offer um, the basic elements uh, of an insurance plan, health insurance plan, like they do under Obamacare. So they can sell you a piece of crap, right, that doesn't really cover anything but maybe emergencies. Uh, if they get that waiver. They can also get a waiver so they can charge older people, senior citizens, more higher premiums than they do for um, for the rest of Americans. And this is important. They can get a waiver under the Graham-Cassidy bill that says they can drop people who who get sick and are costing too much money, and they can refuse to sell insurance to people with pre-existing conditions. This is the Jimmy Kimmel debate. Bill Cassidy, uh, that Jimmy Kimmel went after Bill Cassidy the night before last, saying, you came on my show. Remember Jimmy Kimmel, who's his son with a serious heart condition. So this this is a very personal issue to him. Uh, he told Bill Cassidy, you came on my show, and you told me to my face, and you told millions of Americans you would never support a bill that would allow insurance companies not to cover people with pre-existing conditions. That's what Bill Cassidy said. And Jimmy Kimmel a couple of nights ago accused him of lying. Yesterday, Bill Cassidy, very condescending, says, oh, that poor talk show host, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm sorry he does not understand. Under Graham Cassidy, Heller Johnson, more people will have coverage, and we protect those with pre-existing conditions. 
That is a lie. Lie, 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 lie. I'm sorry, you don't understand, dude. Like, yeah, yeah okay, no. you're a doctor. I get it. You're I trying to flex bill. your credentials. I read the, bill. the bill says, but states, we know what the freaking bill says. Yeah, the state says states. The, the bill says states can apply for a waiver which will allow insurance companies not to sell to people with pre-existing conditions. It is in writing. Why would the Republican Party go along with this? Anyhow, I mean, why wouldn't this reject it out of hand? Uh, so Jimmy Kimmel came back on last night, not only going after Bill Cassidy, but going after Brian Kilmeade from Fox and Friends, who yesterday morning called Jimmy Kimmel just part of the Hollywood elite. These politically charged Emmys may have been the lowest rate in history, but that's not stopping Hollywood elites like comedian uh, Jimmy Kimmel for pushing their politics on the rest of the country. Watch. Thanks, Brian. That was Brian Kilmeade. And the reason I found this comment to be particularly annoying is because this is a guy, Brian Kilmeade, who whenever I see him, kisses my ass like a little boy meeting Batman. <laughs> oh, he's such a fan. I love the fact that he that he slammed Brian Kilmeade. Uh, and, and again, Jimmy Kimmel says, no, no, no. I know what's in this bill. Bill Cassidy lied. He said he wants coverage for all. No discrimination based on pre-existing conditions, lower premiums for middle-class families, and no lifetime caps. And guess what? The new bill does none of those things. Does none of those things. And uh, everybody who's looked at this bill, other than Bill Cassidy and Lindsey Graham, uh, and some of those Republicans who will vote for anything because it's got the name Obamacare. The other thing that Jimmy Kimmel said last night, if they... If they that if Republicans had only or if Democrats had only renamed it Ivanka Care, Trump would be for it because he doesn't know what the hell's in it. He's against it because it's called Obamacare. Call it, call it Ivanka Care. Trump will be for it. Uh, at any rate, um, uh, as Jimmy said last night, there's a a new test, a new Jimmy Kimmel test. Come on my show and tell the truth. Stop using my name, okay? Because I don't want my name on it. There's a new Jimmy Kimmel test for you. It's called the lie detector test. You're welcome to stop by the studio and take it anytime. Yeah. Uh, as I said, most of the people who really follow this legislation and all the uh, major healthcare associations, America's doctors, nurses, the American Heart Association, March of Dimes, for God's sakes, the AARP, they have all come out against against this um, against this legislation, uh, as well as 12 governors, including several Republican governors, Republican governors of uh, Alaska and Ohio and New, uh, New Jersey, and Chris Christie yesterday joining, and Maryland coming out against this legislation. It is bad news, and it is so very close, however, to uh, to happening because we don't know what the count is, and they only need 50 votes. It's By the scary. way, don't forget to tweet at us at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. Tell us what you think. Are you making your phone calls? Are you still calling your senators? It's important. Got to. Got to. Mitch McConnell says this vote's going to happen next week on the floor of the Senate. you got to keep the pressure on these senators. By the way, my, well, former Senator Susan Collins of Maine said that she didn't get too many calls yesterday. So uh, that needs uh, to on. change. Come that on. needs to yeah, change. She is one we particularly got to call. Uh, and this is an issue among other organizations that the great Emily's List has been on top of because uh, uh, anything that would repeal Obamacare would uh, most uh, dramatically uh, 
and disastrously affect American women. Uh, the great leader of Emily's List, Stephanie Shriak, joins us in studio to ne- next to also tell us about all the thousands and thousands of women who have signed up to run for political office this year. Thank you, Donald Trump. We'll be right back. Nambia's health system is increasingly self-sufficient. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go on this Thursday, September 21. Uh, Hello, everybody. Thank you again for being with us uh, coast to coast as we boom out to you on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and on Free Speech TV, as well as the great WCPT out in Chicago. We're coming to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the great teachers of America making a difference in the classroom every day, you bet, under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Uh, Give them your full support. Hug a teacher today. I say that as a former teacher. Uh, And um, we thank them for their support of the program. Find out more about their great work at AFT. Dot org uh, Teachers of America, many of whom are women, and I'm sure many of whom are members of the great Emily's List. Uh, Stephanie Shriak, the president of Emily's List, here in studio with us. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming. In. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. And I, since you're talking about Randy Weingarten and AFT, Isn't I just want to say one of the best? big, big thank you to her and the work she's doing. We just did a training. Uh, we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but a training of women in New Mexico in partnership with the American Federation of Teachers. Oh, wow. Teachers who are stepping up, wanting to run for office, want to make sure that they're protecting students and communities and public schools. And they were so impressive. They're just really talented future candidates. Yeah. I mean, Randy's on the front lines. Everywhere on every important issue. That's exactly right. She's a good partner to all of us. Absolutely. Before we get back into that, I do want to ask you, so we were just talking before the break about this effort to uh, repeal... uh, uh, Obamacare. I don't know whether people realize that how bad this measure is, even compared to the last one. I'm I am concerned that people don't understand. This is by far the worst repeal bill that they've all come up with. It is devastating. Uh, it just completely dismantles uh, the programs that would protect pre-existing conditions and just basic essential health services. I mean, it's why you've got you know Le- you know Senator Lisa Murkowski. You know. I- a Republican, so Emily's list doesn't support her. But I gotta tell her, tell you, like she has been a real leader here in saying things like, like it's yep. got to be good for the people of Alaska. Well, they're not going to get the same sort of care and service and funding that they need under this bill. Um, it's a bad, bad idea, and Americans, I gotta, as they're doing all over the country, they gotta stand up, uh, be heard, and put pressure on these senators. You know what I, I don't understand is when you look at the states that will be impacted, um, particularly. Like West Virginia. There are a lot of Trump voters in West Virginia, right? I mean, Trump voters and losing Medicaid. Yeah. Some oh. of the, the, the people who are the Trump's base are going to be the most severely impacted by this bill. It's it's devastating. How That's ex- they- 
It's exactly right. Um, but that's you know that's not what this is about. It's about dismantling government. It's about making people sort of survive on their own. But but on the other hand, and we know this. We've talked about this for years. You don't provide basic health care. We all end up paying more at the end of the day. It hurts our economy. It is more expensive. And we keep doing this cycle, and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think about Nevada. Here you've got governor, the Republican mm-hmm. governor, Brian Sandoval, out there saying, we gotta, we got to not repeal this. We, right. we are finally providing health insurance for you know thousands and thousands of Nevadans. And you got Senator Dean Heller out there who's like marching with the party, doesn't care about the people of Nevada, the people of this country. Uh, it's it's short-sighted. They think they need this for some political win. But I'll tell you, they're going to be punished. They're already going to be punished in 2018 and for this. And women particularly impacted. Oh, it's devastating. It's devastating. I mean, just on the pre-existing conditions alone. I mean, keep mm-hmm. in mind, a pre-existing condition in this country is... It- Pregnancy. Pregnancy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Right. Which all, all of us have been involved with, by the way, in some format. <laughs> like yeah. this is a, um, but it's also thing. You know, it's it is domestic violence. You know, it's you know if you've it's been abused, care, it's right? like it's, basic preventive care. But it's also yeah. um, women who, like not all, but for the most part, women are taking care of the health care bills and managing health care for their parents. For their spouses, parents, for their kids, and you throw a wrench at all of this, and this health insurance is gone for tens of millions of people. It's going to be devastating to women across the country. Um, I get the question all the time: uh, Is there anything that we can be any positive news out of uh, the, the the fact that Donald Trump was elected president? Um, and one of the positive things that I see, first of all, I see m- maybe better investigative journalism as a result of that than we've seen it's since been, Watergate. It's been so impressive. Um, particularly yeah, the I New York be. Times and the Washington Post. But also more political energy from the grassroots, including women particularly who want to step up and run for office. And it's part. And it's all started for me with the Women's March, which oh. was such a, the greatest political thing I've ever been involved in. It, right? it, yeah. So what, what so are you impressive. seeing at Emily's List? So impressive. And it's not just right. It's not just the marching. I mean, they were there. We were, mar- we were all marching, right? Yeah, we were there yeah. uh, to march. But, but the truth is it started the day after the election uh, last year at Emily's List where women found our website uh, – and we didn't even have this on the homepage, by the way. They like clicked through this one little link that says, I'm interested in running. Tell me when there's a training. Mm. In four weeks, there were over 1,000 women already who had said, I, I, I'm interested in running. Doesn't mean they're running right now, but I'm right. interested in running. You got to understand, we've been around for 33 years. We have encouraged, persuaded, sometimes begged women oh, to yeah. run for yeah. office. Yeah. Uh, and today, I can I can proudly say that we're well over eighteen thousand women. Oh my God! Representing all fifty states, who say I want to run, crossing Whoa. that first Whoa. big barrier that we've been trying to figure out how to cross numbers for decades. So this is the Trump bump. It's, it it, it, it <laughs> is. I, don't it, I know. I don't want to give him credit for it. Um, eighteen thousand. And and it's, are they? They're not running for what office? You know, uh, it's right. We ask, and the truth is, you know, the majority of them are looking at state and local offices. They're looking at city council, great, school great, boards. They're not. Great, this isn't great. folks who said, "I'm going to run for Congress tomorrow." Right. right. Uh, and no, that's, that's where, where we, we need them. This. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just no, we say, the same that's thing. where we it's need the farm folks. team. We need a, yeah. uh, it's extraordinary, and and you think about, 
you know, the great women who have come up that path, you know, serving in their local office and mm-hmm. and working their way up. I mean, I always I always go to Maggie Hassan, who's the U.S. senator uh, now uh, in New Hampshire, who who started off getting trained uh, by Emily's List and other great women's groups before she ever thought about running, uh, and became a state senator mm-hmm. in New Hampshire. That was her whole story. Then she lost her state senate seat, and I remind women all the time: just because you lose. Is not the end. Yeah. In our mind, a loss in an election is just a step in the process. Nevertheless, she persisted, right? (laughs) That's that's exactly right. And for Maggie Hassan, she did. We got her to run for governor. She becomes governor. Now she's a U.S. senator. Uh, I think about these 18,000 women, and I think, you know, in there are our next Elizabeth Warrens and Kamala Harris's and Kirsten Gillibrand's. It's our next Hillary Clinton's. You know, our, our... Second, third, and fourth women president could be in here. I, I, I don't. I am so excited that there is this energy and desire to have their voices heard in their communities, and right. that's what this is about. And the and the impact that they can have on school boards, on city council, you know, running for mayor, running for state legislature with reapportionment coming up. It's right. so critical, so that's important. Right. And, and then, yeah, oh, step up to Congress and say That's right. That's know, right. God bless uh, you, those opportunities. And we've got great women who are doing that. You know, we've been building a pipeline for three decades. We've got women running for the U.S. House all across the country, great Senate races. But these legislative seats are critical. And I just, to everybody who's listening, uh, you know, go go to the emilyslist.org uh, site, check out the, uh, the legislative chambers that we've put on notice, that we want to swing from Republican hands, and then take a look at maybe two or three of your favorite legislative candidates. You probably will never have met these people, may never meet them, and support them, because these are the races we need to win before 2020, before we have the census mm-hmm. that's coming mm-hmm. up and redistricting. We've got to pick up these legislative seats, let yeah. alone stop all the terrible policies that the uh, Republicans it, are pushing through. Right. And, you know, everybody wants to speculate about 2020, which we might even end up doing before this half hour is up. But 2018 is the fo- got to be the focus. That's right. 2018 there, is oh, my goodness. So many important races. It up is. In 2018. The, the list is long. Uh, if you think about. Uh, if you th- go back to the states and you think about these legislative seats that we've got to make, you know, we've got to make inroads in now, then we got to hold in 2020. But think about the governor's races. There are 35 governorships in this country where the governor has a direct say in redistricting. Mm. Think mm-hmm. about that. Who could veto redistricting? You know, Florida. You know, you can veto. Re- we need to elect these Democratic. Uh, governors quickly and if we don't we're gonna we're gonna pay the price for it uh in fact aren't there only two maybe re- uh, women governors you're painting right? me yeah you're painting me but yes there's two democratic women governors they are great <laughs> yeah right uh and uh i i use both uh, governor gina raimondo in rhode island and governor kate brown uh in oregon as examples of what it is to have strong democratic women leading states with progressive legislatures. You know, they're moving through policies that are really making families' lives better. You know, it's equal pay and early, and um, you know child care options and education. They are doing the things that we as progressives want to see the federal government do. It's happening in the states where we have these great leaders. So now we just got to do it and 
Michigan yeah. and Florida and Nevada and keep the list going. And we've got the candidates to do that. Great Steph- women running. Stephanie Shriak with us, president of Emily's List. And uh, very quickly, she mentioned, I'll mention it again, emilyslist.org to go and really find out how you can plug in uh, and support the organization uh, as a man or a woman. And particularly if you're a woman, think about you're making a contribution by getting out there and jumping into the political process. Um it's exciting. It's fun. It's hard work. It is. But it's important. It sure is. Yeah, right. It sure is. Um, so this is this under the banner of your, um, what is it, On Notice program that, that Emily's List has launched? Is that what that's all about? Um, that's about the targeting these legislatures. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, really, really the, critical. Now, these, these fabulous, like, 18,000 women who have signed up, and Bill, I got to tell you, it's every day. Like, I didn't get my report this morning, but yesterday, I think we had 17 women sign up. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened yesterday (laughs) that 17 women said, this is my day to sign up. Every single day, women are signed up. This is called our Run to Win program. Uh, And under Run to Win, what we are doing uh, is building out a, a digital platform where women can reach out to each other and reach out to Emily's List and talk about how to run for office, what are the basics, help each other. Uh, we're doing 25 so do, plus trainings I mean, across you do the country. These training sessions, we, are, are, we do, we do, and that's a piece of this puzzle. But we like, we want folks to file for office. Like that's yeah. what we want you to do. On the job training is really good when you're running for a candidate. You can ask most of the men who have run, who <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> are not sitting through hours and hours and hours of training in most places. Uh, but we're here to do trainings around the country. But even for our gals who are up in Fairbanks, Alaska. I'm not going to get to Fairbanks, Alaska this year to mm-hmm. do a training, but we wanted to b- provide at least a digital platform where those women can also get the basics and to be in touch with each other, to talk about what it's like. You know, they all, a lot of them have the same stories. If you're a woman who's running with young kids, they almost all get asked by somebody who's going to take care of the kids when you're yeah, elected. Right. All right. What, <laughs> well, but, yeah. you know, the, but, uh, the way it always works, just yeah. like when I go to work, who takes care yeah. of the kids like we do it together. Um, or Gretchen Whitmer, who's running for governor in Michigan, uh, doing really, really well. She's got a little bit of a primary, but putting it together. She was at one of our events on Monday. and She says, I get asked all the time, are you going to run as a woman? Oh, yeah. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> uh, she is by by no choice of her own doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, and, uh, right, right. right. Um, and but this is this. So these two programs go hand in hand. We're we're getting uh, just like I said, thousands of women who are interested. We're going to train and recruit, try to place as many as we can in these key legislative races under our unnoticed program, uh, and then we're going to win these legislatures back. Uh, there's a meeting in Nashville this week of uh, attorneys general of the United States. Yes. Again, an area, I think, of Kamala Harris, a ter- former attorney general of my state of California. That's right. Uh, and um, it came to focus this week, I guess, because Lisa Madigan, who's a great Democrat from Illinois, saying that she was not going to run for re-election uh, uh, as attorney general of Illinois, but also not going to run for governor or for, you know, whatever, senator mm-hmm. or what higher office there. As I like to say, that's not today does not mean not never. Right. I would hope not. <laughs> I for hope her. not too. Yeah, she is she's a, a great, she's a star, phenomenal uh, attorney general. But this is, this is a very important part. I mean, uh, this uh, post of state attorneys general. Uh, it really is. And look at what it has meant uh, under the Trump administration. 
how many of our Democratic attorneys general have been stepping up, filing mm-hmm. suit, protecting their citizens. Uh, you've had, I mean, my goodness, the list goes on and on, but you've had Maura Healy from Massachusetts, uh, who, in fact, this week, uh, filed suit against um, the the, the loan. Uh, no, the no. loan. No, I'm just, I'm sorry. Equal, uh, Equifax. Oh, whole, oh, Equifax. We yes, got on a whole yes. different. Yeah. So right. it's not just the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, but to protect consumers and and well, millions of Americans uh, from these practices. Uh, Lori Swanson, uh, who a lot of folks maybe haven't uh, heard of as much. She's a fabulous attorney general out of Minnesota, uh, rolls up her sleeve, keeps her head Mm -hmm. down, works, Mm -hmm. works, works. But she's been partnering with the attorney general in Washington state and others, uh, whether it's on DACA or in the Muslim ban. uh, She was really on the front line of that uh, and is really tremendous. I think all of these women like you know, like Kamala Harris in the United States Senate or Catherine Cortez Masto, who is a former attorney general in right. the United States Senate. Uh, it's a great opportunity for all of them to keep doing the work, but also you know, a good stepping stone for future. They shouldn't think about that, but that's my job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and men or women, the resistance uh, in many on many issues uh, to the policies of the Trump administration now is coming from the state's attorney general. Yesterday, uh, our friend Javier Becerra from California filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration on the wall. They've yes. already filed one uh, against the ending of the Dreamers program they with did. DACA. Yes. Uh, and now another one yesterday on saying on, on the wall. And I was really but, proud so, of the move um, to protect the Dreamers. And in, uh, so uh, people sometimes forget this, but former governor of Arizona, former Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano uh, is now yep. uh, running the university system, University of California system in California, uh, and has been a great advocate for Dreamers and is part of all of that as well. And it's like good partnerships, finding ways to work together. That's it's what interesting we're doing. about that. Yeah. So Janet Napolitano, uh, head of the great University of California system on behalf of the university, has filed a lawsuit yes. against the Trump administration on the DACA program. But she she knows what she's talking about when it comes to border issues, yes, right? She she's does. former U.S. attorney for Arizona, former governor of Arizona, yeah. former secretary of Homeland Security. Yep. So, no, uh, she understands yeah, it. And, I mean, she was Homeland Security in the, in the first uh, term of President Biden when all of this came to be. Mm-hmm. Like, she really understands uh, what this was about, how this has come together, and what it has meant for these kids and now young adults who are who are really providing such energy and excitement and economic uh, development in this country. Right. Uh, so I'm glad they're doing it. We thought we were going to celebrate the first uh, female president of the United States. Uh, will there ever be one? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm with you. We thought we were, too. <laughs> we're going to be celebrating. And I keep every day, um, I keep thinking of, God, what oh a difference boy. it would make if Wouldn't Hillary were something? there. I it mean, you know, so we'd different. still be in the Paris Accords. We would still have the Dreamers program. That's right. We would not be t- we would be talking about expanding Obamacare and making it better and not repeat. I mean, that's, on every that's front, right. every the, front. And then just to really put a mark on it, just the true international community, where where would where we would be dealing with uh, North Korea, where we would be dealing with our our, uh, you know, whether it's Iran. I mean, just the oh, my gosh, the list goes on and on. But here we are. Right. Here we are. Um, But a friend of mine said to me yesterday that he's still convinced that if Hillary were a man, if Hillary were not a woman, she would have won. Do you agree? 
I mean, how much? How big a factor was that? We don't know. We don't. Uh, we don't know. Um, I will say, I got that question yesterday from somebody, and I said, the answer is, yeah, actually, I think that's probably true. She lost by seventy-seven thousand votes in over three states. Any yeah. factor that would change to make it a little bit more normal uh, of an election would have thrown her into the White House. And so, yes, I would say that. Uh, you know, we still have so many states. I mean, over 20 states who have never seen a woman governor. You know, you're still not seeing it. We're getting better, but we haven't seen a lot of women CEOs. So seeing women in executive positions is new uh, to a lot of folks. The the work and the legacy, ultimately, of Hillary Clinton running this campaign, becoming the first woman nominated uh, for the presidency, coming so close, winning the popular vote. I just yeah, right. all of those things, I truly believe, makes it a little bit easier for the next one. Uh, and I do believe we will see the next one very soon. Uh, and the, the, we have got a great bench of women We've got a great bench of Democrats. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so fed up. I'm over it. People are like, oh, we don't have a bench. Are you kidding? Open your eyes. We have got great Democratic leaders across this country who are really going to energize and inspire uh, the party. And they're coming from, you know, they're you know, both women and men, different geographies, different backgrounds, different races. I'm really proud of where we are with the bench moving forward. And I when really you, am. When you look at, again, the so far away, but the people who are now being talked about or who themselves talking about 2020, they include uh, some great women like Kirsten Gillibrand and Amy Klobuchar and Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and who am I forgetting? But, you know, the list goes on. Yeah, but right? th- those those yeah, four in particular are on the top of every list. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was having this, I was just chatting with my staff the other day about this and reminding them that in after the 2012 presidential election, we reelected President Obama. And then, of course, all of the 2016 started because that we're Americans. That's what we do. And it was Hillary Clinton. And then there's like six to ten men. <laughs> good, right. good, good men. But that was that was the whole story. And we were sitting at Emily's list in 2013 going, come on. Like, this is not fair. Hillary Clinton is not the sole woman in the world. She's the best and the most qualified and she should do it. But. That she was sort of for a moment shadowing, and Emily's list took it upon ourselves to say, "Wait a second, you've got to look at Kirsten. Like, if you're going to talk about mm-hmm. Martin O'Malley, you should talk about Amy Klobuchar." Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we just really laid it out and brought out these great and put a big spotlight. And I couldn't be prouder because it should be the case. We're just not used to looking right at women in those roles. And boy, if we've passed that barrier. That's a big step, too. Yeah. And I, I think we've passed it. I, I do. I think do. we passed yeah, it. I and think we have. That was no. not the case. Emily's List supports Democratic women who are pro-choice, who are running for office. That's right. Should the Which, Demo- by the way, is the vast, 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 vast majority of Democratic women in this country. Right, right. right. <laughs> uh, should the Democratic Party have, have any room for men or women who are running for office who happen not to be pro-choice? Should there be a litmus test? I find this such a silly conversation because the party is pro-choice. It's in the party platform. And and truthfully, 99.9% 
of our candidates. Okay, maybe that's a little high, and I'm yeah. being a little bit, yeah. but that's like call it 95, though. It is a huge number, right? Yeah, you know, oh, it's higher than 95. You know, share, yeah. right? So our our you know share that key value of of freedom for for women and families to make their decisions. They're there, and so. Why are this is to me this I find this just absurd because we're already we've already set, decided what we, we are yeah. and and we lead on it. It's about shared values. It is about shared values. And for the handful of Democratic candidates who may not carry the pro-choice label, you know, as, as long as they're not going to legislate which they don't. I think about, boy, I'm a big fan of Senator Bob Casey's. I was just going to ask you. I'm a big fan of Senator Bob Casey. He we, has been a champion for a lot of our candidates. He has been yeah. good. Uh, he he has his personal views, and that is, in my mind, that is okay. But but what you do in your role as a, as a governing official is different, and that that's what we're doing. Yeah. And why is that? Because we have the same shared values. Yeah. And, and we, that's what's important. And as we'd Democrats. rather have him there than Rick Santorum. Oh, good. oh my gosh! <laughs> I for, oh, End Rick of story, Santorum. right? I mean, yeah, oh, I forgot. I tried to forget about him forever. Emily's <laughs> List. Uh, nobody does it better. Emily'sList.org. Join up, sign up, and thank you, Stephanie Schrecker, who you are, for what you do, and for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Aswin Subsang from Daily Beast joining us next. Stay tuned, folks. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Melania says we got to stop all this bullying online. Yeah, why doesn't you tell our old man to stop? What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we go. Thursday, September 21. That's the day it is. And this is the Bill Press Show. We welcome you and thank you for joining us. Wherever you are in this great land of ours, we are there right alongside of you, in your ear, in your face, uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill uh, in Washington, D.C., and we thank you for joining us uh, as we hopscotch through all the news of the day <coughs> here in Washington, around the country, and around the globe as well. Uh, and we will bring you um, the update on the hurricanes, on Donald Trump up in uh, New York, and on uh, the efforts to repeal Obamacare here in Washington, D.C., among others, with the help this half hour from uh, Daily Beast, our good friend Aswin Subsang. Hello, Aswin. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Thanks for coming in. You're all geared up, ready to go? Every day. <laughs> good. Well, it's good to start the day uh, right here. Uh, and remember, we want to know what you think about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Again, on Twitter, at BP Show. 
Uh, do we even need a little poll out there or anything right now, Jamie? No poll as of now, but keep the comments coming. And uh, yeah, yeah, just keep the comments coming. If you have a suggestion for a poll, we're happy to take them. Right. Uh, and, you know, anchors sometimes can get a little annoyed. Um, even a calm guy like Lawrence O'Donnell. Uh, we'll find what how, found out what that's all about and a whole lot more. But first, this but you know, is when Jamie always press. has the big headlines. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Thursday morning. We begin on the international stage. Nicaragua has decided to join the Paris Climate Accord, which means the United States and Syria are now the only two countries who have refused to support the agreement and combat climate change and global warming. President Daniel Ortega told uh, state media late yesterday that they will soon sign on to the agreement. He had initially refused to sign it back in 2015, asserting it didn't require enough sacrifice from wealthy nations. Sounds a little similar to Donald Trump and everybody paying their fair share. But Bashar, oh, Bashar, Al- Bashar al-Assad and Donald Trump, partners in uh, deni- climate change denial. It's- well, I mean, I, I think embarrassing. I mean, um, I'm not sure what the Assad regime's record is on uh, climate action, but I'm pretty sure the main reason that they're not in the Paris um, Accord is because they're going through a very brutal civil war. I think that's the main reason. Uh, it, 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 so, uh, yeah. I, I mean, if I the United States were going through that, I, I think uh, we'd give President Trump a pass. We, right, right. But, Except we're not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, interesting story this morning in Axios, Mike Allen, uh, writing about how apparently Sean Spicer took very detailed notes during meetings at the Republican National Convention. Uh, a, a source told the news outlet that Spicer, quote, documented everything. So Mike Allen mm. reaching out to Sean Spicer this morning and asking him any comment on this. Sean Spicer replying to Mike Allen uh, from a legal standpoint, quote, from a legal standpoint, I want to be clear. Do not email or text me again. Should you do again, I will report to the appropriate authorities. That was Sean Spicer's response to Mike Allen, one of the most connected men in Washington. But this is pretty interesting because if Spicer has all these notes and Bob Mueller is likely going to want to talk to Sean Spicer, things might have just gotten a little more interesting. But wait a minute. So... (laughs) Mike Allen is a friend of mine. He's a reporter. He's trying to, just like you, if you emailed Sean Spicer or Sarah Huckabee Sanders, just asking a question, you're going to be threatened with a lawsuit or threatened with an attorney getting on top? What What is that all about? Um, I think in the past few days, uh, post Emmy's cameo, <clears throat> I think Mr. Spicer has just been in a particularly bad mood. Uh, okay. Um, and, and, and also when you bring the Mueller investigation into it, where it could be potentially yeah. very costly and legally expensive for him and other current and former Trump aides. Hold that thought. Yeah. We'll get that into that. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? It's good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we go. Hour number two of this of The Bill Press Show on this Thursday, September 21. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for joining us. We're with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and joining you on the great WCPT 
the progressive voice <clears throat> of the greater Chicago area. Uh, with all the news of the day, starting out here from Washington, D.C., but not only looking at what's going on in Washington, here up in New York uh, with the uh, Donald Trump's final day at the United Nations uh, and around the globe as well. The latest on Hurricane Maria uh, hammering Puerto Rico, that entire island, uh, out of electricity. Uh, and now over uh, the Turks and the Caicos Islands and heading up, it looks like, well off the east coast of the United States, but still was a hurricane started as a five, down to four, down to three. The last I checked, uh, horrible, horrible destruction and damage left in its wake. Uh, and they're still digging out from the earthquake in uh, Mexico City. Up here, uh, different kinds of storms that we're dealing with. And here to uh, help us through the whole day with the news of the day, Aswan Subsang political reporter at the Daily Beast. So I said, let's talk a little bit about Sean Spicer. Um, sure. What did you think of the uh, the Emmy rollout? Uh, is this a, well, was Hollywood just trying to help Sean Spicer, re, the re, Sean Spicer rehabilitation tour? Well, uh, it's funny you should ask about this. Uh, I r reported a little bit earlier this week on this. Um, no, that's. Well, <laughs> I know that. That's and, one of the reasons you're here, right? Yeah. And I got to speak to Sean, uh, even if very briefly, um, right after his Emmys Hollywood coming out. Yeah. And uh, Sean Spicer and his team, he has two representatives doing work for him where uh, they're trying to get him a lucrative book deal. They're trying to get him a, a steady TV gig, uh, potentially other shall we say, more non-conventional options such as Hollywood TV movies or even a reality TV show. They're working on all of these different right. options to see what they can get. And he signed Spicer. up with the Speakers Bureau. Yes, yes, right. yes. And he yeah. also has the uh, Harvard gig, the, yeah. the fellowship. So uh, beyond just the usual, oh, what kind of state TV gig or um, six-figure, seven-figure, whatever-figure book deal can I get, they're also... Um, pursuing avenues that you could potentially interpret as a pop culture or Hollywood revival of Sean Spicer, which makes sense in, in the sense that he emerged from the Trump White House as maybe the most famous White House press secretary there has been in recent American history. Uh, there was the Saturday Night Live sketches. Yeah. There yeah. was um, the fact that paparazzi would even stake out his house in Washington, D.C. He became a tabloid in pop culture fascination that you didn't see with a White House press secretary like yeah. Josh Ernest or Scott McClellan or, or people like Dana Perino. And uh, if they were successful, uh, by they I mean Sean Spicer and his two guys, his representatives, are successful in paving a path forward, you should expect to see more of Sean Spicer not only – on your TV screen, on panels and cable news, but in terms of uh, maybe TV consulting gigs or um, even a political reality TV show. Who knows? But again, that is if they're successful. And as I reported with my colleague Lachlan Marquet at thedailybeast.com yesterday, uh, yesterday being Wednesday of this week, um, they're coming up short so far, honestly. Good. <laughs> The uh, especially with the big five TV networks, CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC and uh, Fox. Uh, the hardest time Sean is 
get it. One of the several of the big reasons he's having trouble landing. Well, let, let the what ahead. you're saying is none of the five have agreed to hire him. Correct. And it looks like uh, all of them, or at the very least, almost all of them, are taking a hard pass. And there's a good chance they stick to that, at least for the foreseeable future. And by the way. That really says something. I mean, CNN will hire anybody as a contributor. They hired me last year, right? I mean, so... so you're selling yourself short, Bill. Um, and actually, that's a point we make in the piece that, um, well, CNN hired Corey Lewandowski. It's not like Corey Lewandowski has any fewer. In fact, he has more credibility issues than Sean Spicer does. Um, but from what we heard from our TV network sources is that CNN's past decision to hire Corey Lewandowski after he was ousted from the Trump campaign and um, while the campaign was still going on uh, was actually instructive to all these network executives because they saw how embarrassing it was to have Corey on, how much he would lie and humiliate them. Yeah. And it showed them what not to do mm -hmm. when dealing uh, with someone like Sean Spicer. Okay. But so to me, I, I really am offended by this effort to rehabilitate and we're all supposed now to laugh and feel sorry for Sean Spicer. Look, he knew what he was doing. He's famous for lying. Mm -hmm. He's famous for telling one of the biggest to lies. To play devil's advocate, uh, that, is the, that is the job finish. description of the White House press secretary. No, it's not. No, it's not. I would disagree. I'm okay. a member of the White House press corps. That is not the, the, the job description. The job description is to... I think, come as close to lying without lying, or spin, but don't lie. I mean, there is a line, and mm. others have not crossed the line. Period. Period. Josh Ernest, Robert Gibbs, I was there, sat through all those things, Dana Perino. I mean, they didn't always tell you all the truth, the exact truth, right? But they would frame it in such a way they would tell you what they felt they could or what they wanted to tell you. Jo you know... Josh Ernest would never come out and say, it was the biggest crowd ever, period, to watch an inauguration. That's what he's known for, that one lie. That's why they did it at, mm -hmm. on the, uh, on the, um, uh, at the Emmy. So I guess my point is, why should we celebrate this guy who's just known? That wasn't the only lie he told, of course, but starting with that, why should we be, he's famous for that. Why should we celebrate that? Well, uh, you'll be happy to know that uh, one of the big reasons, there, there were uh, several big ones, but one of the most major reasons of why uh, the networks are so far taking a pass on uh, uh, our dear friend, Sean Spicer, <laughs> is because when they sat down to interview him, because, you know, when they you've been through this process, when they're trying to figure out if they want to hire you as a contributor, they sit down with you and ask, yeah. oh, OK, what are you bringing to the table? Yeah. Basically, yeah. basically pitch me. Right. And when Sean was pitching them, they didn't have the sense that he was. And I'm quoting one of my sources here. Um, he that he was trying to, and I quote, seek forgiveness. They were not getting the sense that he was mm. trying to do that. So they. They weren't getting the sense that he would be a sympathetic figure on TV because to emerge from a tenure in something like the Trump White House, uh, these people in TV and media are looking for something the American people can relate to. And they weren't sure they wanted to hire someone with that high of a profile who would come on and spout uncritically Team Trump, team Trump talking points. Right. There was no sense that he was coming on to say, look, I'll give you – uh, the actual honest take of what happened in the Trump White House, my mistakes, what like uh, uh, my boss's blunders, and 
I'm sorry for it. Um, I messed up, and here's and here's why. And I'm going to give you the cold hard truth of the Trump White House, and that's why I'm interesting as a contributor because I worked in it and I lived it. They didn't get the sense that they had any compelling package like that, or that he was really remorseful. So they passed. When you talked to him, um, was he like upbeat? Uh, he was pretty upbeat. He had just gotten done with the hotel gym uh, the night after he was done partying <laughs> with the Hollywood elite. Uh, he went to parties after the Emmys, including the yeah. Netflix party. And he told me uh, that by his count, no more than three people expressed their displeasure to him in person. Um, that for as much as we uh, can uh, 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 talk about liberal Hollywood and how uh, solidly yeah. democratic it is, uh, most of the people were very polite for him, more than happy to ta- snap a selfie with him or hang out with him just because, oh my God, they see the guy who's famous because of Melissa McCarthy on Saturday Night Live. But you know what? Among other things. You know what? That's Hollywood. Yeah, uh, 100%. I started, I started my my broadcasting career in Hollywood, you know, I did nine years of television in in Hollywood, uh-huh. and um, and nine years of talk radio in Hollywood. And I, I once did a whole hour on the radio about the fact that, and I was on the most conservative radio station in 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 the area, and I got nothing but hate calls, right, from mm-hmm. from listeners. Totally they hated me because I'm such a liberal. Uh, and I I did a whole hour on the fact that in all of my time in Hollywood, no one had ever come up to me in person and said anything mean. Everybody who came up to me in person was always, and I was recognized everywhere because I was on TV every night. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, everybody came up and said, you know, oh, love watching you, love you, the whole thing. <clears throat> and I kept saying, where are you, a-holes? <laughs> You're chicken. Right. You're chicken. You won't come up to me and say in person what you tell me, yeah. what the letters you write, the letters that I we mean, get, or the telephone calls. So people are polite. People are polite. So that, you can use that as a positive or a negative, but they're not going to at a party after an event like that. They're not going to come up and say, I hate you. Right. I mean, so. like you just said, people are polite by and large. I mean, a lot of them let their darker impulses come out if they have anonymity, especially over the yeah. phone, internet, or email. But by and large- People are not going to come up to you and be rude because they're either cowardly or, or uh, uh, like you said, polite, to put it generously. Having yeah. said that, Hollywood, I think you would agree with me, having worked there, um, it's a little bit more of an accelerated, acute version of that. Like the ideology of Hollywood isn't really liberal. It's the so, ideology of phoniness. It's, and, it's celebrityhood. Yes. Yeah. And that's so he is that. Uh, another. Um, yes. Yes. Another former White House mini celebrity, mm-hmm. uh, Sebastian Gorka. Oh hell yeah! That nobody, nobody. Swin loves Sebastian Gorka. But nobody could ever figure of... out who he is or what he is. It was just that he was on TV and he was good on TV. Donald Trump thought, therefore, he had a job. Mm-hmm. That's why he kept his job. That's why, as I reported, I think back in May, again with my colleague Lachlan Moykay, that. He was on the verge of being moved out of the White House into a different part of the federal government. But there was a twofold issue of other agencies really not wanting him and also Donald Trump liking him so much on TV and Steve Bannon liking him. Steve Bannon used to um, employ him at Breitbart and then later in the White House within the office of the chief strategist back when Bannon was, of course, working Mm -hmm. in the Trump administration. (laughs) So the two of them personally intervened to keep Gorka in the Trump White House, at least for then the time being. Obviously, he's not right. there working So now. what's he doing now? Um, he's weighing his options. Um, as I 
report before. He's trying to get his contributorship at Fox News back. He used to have one. Oh. He's in talks with Steve Bannon of potentially launching a foreign policy initiative or a NATSEC initiative. They'll focus on the America first kind of worldview and foreign policy uh, that they both share and have shared for years. Uh, but as you mentioned Axios earlier, as our mutual very good yeah. friend, uh, our, uh, the darling Jonathan Swan, uh, reported a couple of days ago at Axios that uh, Gorka's first new official gig is is that he has signed on as the top strategist for a little-known new group called the MAGA Coalition. MAGA is in, of course, Make America, Make America Great, Great Again. again. Yeah. And uh, my reporting partner, uh, Lachlan, and I uh, decided to do a follow-up story on Jonathan's story because he mentioned in his post that l not much is known about this group, so we want to learn more. We found out through public records and through phone calls over just a couple of hours, a few hours of reporting, <laughs> that uh, the people who are responsible for launching and founding this group include two Pizzagate truthers and one Seth Rich conspiracy theorist. Good Lord. So uh, we reported right, this out. And you combine them with Sebastian Gorka? It is unclear if Gorka knew what they... Um, but I mean, just think of that deadly mix. Yeah, yeah. And it's certainly uh, with someone, uh, like you said, he, he doesn't have as high a profile as someone like Sean Spicer nationally, but he certainly got his amount of airtime and press coverage to the point where you'd think you'd be able to parlay that into something beneficial for you. But the first thing he really goes for is this tiny MAGA coalition that ends up being founded by... Yeah. These right wing conspiracy theorists. And it, it's kind of a facepalm moment for people who uh, are close to and advise Sebastian Gorka's friends. Obviously, you and I aren't two of those people. But if you could put yourself in their yeah. mind or in their head for a second, you got to imagine they're going to be like, man, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, and Steve Bannon, have we heard from since? A bunch. Totally. Uh, he's doing his thing at Breitbart. He has is he back as like executive editor? S same chairman job uh -huh. he had before he left uh, to enter the Trump campaign in August 2016. <laughs> and he's doing his thing as Breitbart. He's having a ball. Um, he is starting to use uh, Great America Alliance as, uh, apart from Breitbart, his main political vehicle. And um, he's gearing up for t 2018. Oh, in terms of races, of course. Yeah. Yes. And, and, very and, and primarying as many uh, uh, squishy establishment Republicans that you can think of. Very involved in the uh, Alabama race where he's supporting Roy Moore. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Donald Trump will be down there tomorrow or Saturday supporting uh, the incumbent uh, Senator Luther Strange. Big this Luther Strange. Uh, big Luther Strange, yeah. right? This is the seat uh, vacated by... Uh, uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, of course. So it's really Bannon versus Trump in, uh, in Alabama. Are there any other Senate races where Bannon has openly, knowingly, I mean, openly kind of gotten involved? Well, he, he I think he's been commenting privately and he's starting to strategize and create light. He's uh, created like an incubus for future war plans. But for, I, the, right. for the yeah. time being, I, I, I think things are in planning stage. He, yeah. he has, um, outside of Breitbart, would an apparatus of... Uh, political support and advisors and funding, and he's figuring out uh, what to do in the months and years going forward. I mean, I think Jeff Flake might be another target, but to my knowledge, he hasn't gotten 
openly involved in I, that. I think that's correct. But yes, right. Flake would be a target. Right. Now, you know, it's uh, having been a um, uh, radio talk show host and a TV anchor on a couple of different networks for four different shows. Uh, it's a tough job being an anchor. You know, sometimes things can really get under your skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, even somebody uh, very calm uh, and collected like Lawrence O'Donnell. Uh, Lawrence had a bad night uh, the other night um, because um, uh, if somebody was talking in his ear in his IFB and distracting him um, during commercial breaks. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of, so this <laughs> this is this, all the same night, Lawrence O'Donnell on the set uh, at MSNBC uh, during a uh, commercial break. Uh, let's start with this one. There's insanity in the control room tonight. Someone's pressing buttons and turning my sound off. Who is who's asking for a Labor Day rundown in my ear? <laughs> uh, and then he hears uh, somewhere in the building, somebody is doing a little construction work. Stop the hammering. Stop the hammering out there. Who's got a hammer? Where is it? I don't know. It's Where's the hammer? It's is it on the uh, go up on the other floor? Somebody go up there and stop the hammering. Stop the hammering. Okay, to be fair, about a year and a half ago, there was some pretty heavy construction going on in this building. Oh, yeah, and we raised hell. And we raised hell frequently. Yeah. It was mostly Peter. Peter, They drove Peter nuts. Oh, yeah. And we would run and find out where it was happening. I mean, I do kind of understand this, but it is funny. Stop the hammering. Stop the hammering. It never got that bad during commercial breaks Uh, here. Sorry. No, no, no. He also tells them to... uh, at one point here to call Phil Griffin, the president of NBC, get Phil Griffin down here to stop the hammering. Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, again, moving on, the sound, the sound in his ears is driving him crazy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> crazy fucking sound coming in my ear, this fucking stupid hammering. It Bad just fucking sucks. It fucking sucks to be out here with this out of control shit. I can give it to him though. It was very theatrical. You, you got to watch the video too. You have to watch the video because the video, he, the look in his eyes is like to kill. And then he keeps raising his hands and making all these hand gestures. I mean, it is, uh, it is, it is. Jesus Christ! And let me just tell you one thing: is your camera is always on, yeah, and your microphone is always on, I, and there are people who. Do nothing but collect mm-hmm. off the satellites, right? Yeah. Little. There was a. In fact, oh man, can't remember the name of it. It was a great movie years ago uh, that someone did with just outtakes from like that. Mm. And I'm in it. Really? <laughs> oh, that's right. I, uh, I hadn't heard of this movie. One. Yeah. Did you have a, uh, a meltdown of your own? No. Uh, <laughs> I pounced on Pat Buchanan when he was a presidential candidate. I actually got up on the um, on the hood of a pickup truck <laughs> outside of a diner uh, in New Hampshire, and the movie keeps showing me with my microphone ready on the hood of that pickup truck, ready for for Pat to stop talking so I could ask him a question. <laughs> and the minute he does, I leap. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the whole thing is like this: is people who are ready, either sitting there during commercial break, ready to come on the air, or anchors who are on the air and during a commercial break. And anyway, someone's pressing buttons and turning my sound off. Who is who's asking for a Labor Day rundown in my ear? <laughs> That's low key my favorite one: the Labor Day rundown. <laughs> Uh, so you're going to write a story about Lawrence O'Donnell? No, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, uh, he, like, look, we, um, uh, we... Swin's got a good gig on cable. We don't want to ruin that. that that's it. No, no, I, I have no gig. I was just trying to ha figure out how to phrase this artfully. Um, oh, you, you and I have both done a good amount of uh, cable news. You right. obviously yep. more so... Than me, we we know a lot of people in the business, including the hosts. And honestly, I mean, these clips are really funny and interesting to see come out into the daylight. But this sort of behavior is kind of par for the course for cable news hosts, whether you think that's a positive or a negative. And honestly, I've heard of and seen stuff more brutal and much meaner than that. <laughs> this, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And there are some hosts who have a reputation uh, for being very thin-skinned and uh, and having a very short leash when it comes to, right. you know, popping off. Thank you, they're God's gift to man who... Right. I, I didn't know Lawrence O'Donnell was among that among that group. I always I always considered him very calm and very level level and everything. Uh, but I, I mentioned to Jamie earlier when, uh, back in the days when Tucker Carlson and I at CNN uh, did a show called The Spin Room, which was the really the forerunner of The Daily Show. Um, mm -hmm. uh, totally off the wall kind of program late at night. Fun. Uh, and we had a producer who was always in our ear and always talking, uh, just because I think he liked to hear himself talk. He was in Atlanta, we see. And um, we would even get to the point of asking a guest a question, and we couldn't hear what the guest was saying in response because this guy would be talking to us, and then the guest would finish talking and we were supposed to know what he had said, uh, and it drove us so freaking crazy that we never exploded on. Well, Lawrence O'Donnell was not on the air. I don't think we exploded like that. But what we just simply did is we just pulled the plug, and he could not talk to us anymore. So uh, there was no way he could communicate with us because we didn't want to hear him. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I think they canceled the show. Uh, at any rate, but I, I got to find old clips of this show. Oh yeah. Are they on YouTube? Can I find them online? Write a story about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So who is your, uh, what do you think of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders? I see you at the briefings every once in a while. Um, I've interacted with her quite a bit, as I think all like people covering this yeah. White House do. Uh, she's fine, whatever. I mean, like, do you mean? Well, first of all, I, I do think she is better at the job than Sean Spicer. Yeah. Um, but I think she lies just as much as Sean Spicer does. Did. I don't uh, see her anymore as, a, as telling the truth than Sean Spicer. Again, with uh, not, not to defend her or our other dear friend Sean, but uh, if you're working for this White House in particular, it's kind of hard to be a spokesperson for it and please the president and not spin his untruths day in and day out that kind of comes with the territory of this administration and do, so do they work you just got you just got factor that into everything they tell you <laughs> do they work for the country or do they work for the president they work for this president yeah 
I mean, I, and that's I, why, I know what you're saying there, but, but I know, the, and that's the, why I, they they work that, for. Like, back to Sean Spicer. That's why I have no respect for Sean Spicer. You know, I I, I first first of all, I could not do that. I mean, I don't care if it were Barack Obama or John F. Kennedy or Bill Clinton, a president that I loved and worked for. If he said you've got to go out there and say the sky is red, right, mm. or water is not cold, it's warm, or this is the biggest crowd ever in the history of humankind, and and lie, I couldn't do it. Right, right. right. Yeah. And it's, you couldn't either. Uh, well, I could. I could never take a government job. I, I would never be able to pass the drug test. But uh... <laughs> hey, <laughs> listen, Swin, relax. You will never be offered one. Good. Uh, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming in. Anytime. Watch out, Sean, Sean Spicer. We are on your case. Joining us next. Social entrepreneur is what all of us are called upon to be and to do. Jonathan Lewis here to tell us all about it. Joining us next here on The Bill Press Show. Thanks to Aswin saying You can catch him, follow him uh, at thedailybeast.com. We'll be right back. Where is it? Where's the hammer? Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go on this Thursday, Thursday, September 21. Uh, hello, everybody. Great to see you again as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, uh, and our studio right here on Capitol Hill. With the news of the day, uh, whatever Donald Trump is up to in, uh, in New York still at the United Nations, the latest on Hurricane Maria, the latest on efforts to repeal Obamacare here in Washington, D.C., uh, and all the rest. Joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also, of course, on Free Speech TV and on the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those good men and women of our firefighting departments all across the land, so many of them doing such heroic work in response to Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, but every day they're on the front lines protecting American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaidberger. Uh, we salute them, hug a firefighter today, and uh, thank them for the support uh, of the program. Uh, we are, uh, as Americans, have a responsibility not to s just sit back and let everybody else do the work, but to uh, pitch in and do our fair share uh, as citizens, Republican or Democrat. Such is the message of my good friend Jonathan Lewis, whose new book out, The Unfinished Social Entrepreneur, and joins us all the way from Davis, California, to our studio this morning. Hello, Jonathan. Good to see you, Bill. Nice to see you, too. Thank you. Uh, in uh, the interest of full disclosure, Jonathan and I first met when we were both children, uh, we were, uh, uh, and we were legislative aides in the California legislature. That's correct. Both for a state senator, mm -hmm. you for a great Democrat, Nick Petras from mm -hmm. uh, the Oakland area, and me across the bay for a Republican, uh, Peter Bear from Marin County and Napa, right. and uh, and we've been good friends ever since. So yeah. it's really I was thinking about it today as I drove over. Uh, we, our senators were seatmates. 
Yes. And I have known you longer than I've known my wife. I've been married 45 years, and you and I, we had a few months where you and I worked as the legislature, and then in that time period, I met my wife. And not that you were responsible, no. but I thought it was a nice— And who do you love more? You know, Bill, um, I, I, I don't want to break your heart. I really don't want to break your heart. I hate to see a grown man cry on a syndicated yeah. radio, but, right. you know. Okay. Yeah, I thought that's what you might say. Yeah. Right. So there are three things that I want to talk to you about. Uh, well, uh, Jonathan's great um, success has been, um, um, with other successes, in the field of um, microfinancing. Correct. Uh, you've written a book about being a social entrepreneur. But um, I wanted to start with start with your real passion uh, that people should know that your real passion is you love hot dogs and you will <laughs> fly. I have to know this that you yeah. would fly anywhere in this country uh, for a good hot dog. That's pretty it's, much true. Isn't that in, true? In fact, you have done that. I have done. I that. remember and you came to Washington once to go to DC three. Jonathan, remember that place was I down do. on 8th Street? Actually, let me I give mean, them a Jamie, plug. Yeah. They have the best vegetarian hot dog in the country. No longer. They're out of business. Okay, they don't have the best vegetarian <laughs> right. hot dog in the country. But you came here, and I told you, that's not so great. You said, no, I want to try it. You yeah. came here. You had a little gathering of I friends. I did. I, I bought the D- place out for the evening. We did a party. At DC3. Yes. So um, I thought, now, now, Jamie has, so we've been talking about this. We all have our favorite hot dogs. All right. And we want to, uh, all of you listening or watching, uh, anywhere in the country, if you've got a joint that you think has the best hot dogs, let us know, and we'll let Jonathan know, and he'll be there probably before the end of the week, uh, <laughs> or next week for sure. Uh, so, Jamie, your favorite. Okay, Jamie's my favorite, Maine. and I, I hope you've had this, Jonathan, a red hot dog. Have you uh, had a red hot dog in Maine? I can barely hear you on the on the earbud. Turn it up a little bit, or and it's not well. Quite whatever. I, did a I hear red, you say red um, hot dog from Maine? No, I have not yet. Oh my goodness! You have to have a red hot dog. It's your, yeah, right. So essentially, red hot dogs. It's a, it's a with a red dye, and they're only available in Maine because they're banned everywhere else because of the food coloring. Yeah. But they make this snap when you bite into it, and they are absolutely delicious. Red uh, hot dog. I'm there. Know. I heard it. I. I need a, a, a website. I need a name of a place to go. And I'm, I got you. I'm there. I got you. Right. So my favorite yeah, okay. are, um, well, actually, my real favorite are the Dodger dogs at Dodger Stadium uh, in L.A. Really? Yeah. Uh, See, my view is that it is always, especially because I don't support public financing of large sports stadiums as a not of an effective use of public dollars, it always feels to me like an enormous amount of money and an incredible uh, 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 amount of trouble to create a national pastime called baseball just to <laughs> just support <laughs> the delivery system for a for hot, hot dog. dog. Yeah, that's but been my take on but that. But they're good. And the Nats dogs here, not yeah. so good. Yeah. And my second favorite are the hot dogs on Amtrak between here and New York. Um, I never wow. go to New York without having a hot dog on Amtrak. You know, I have to tell you, my respect for you has gone up immeasurably in the last couple of minutes. Because because of your uh, your devotion to the the, well, the art form one. we call hot dogs, <laughs> yeah. Here to Ford's was a little iffy, but now you're you're home. If solid. you had to say all, with all the sampling that you've done, and I know you and your son, you've been out right, on the, on right, the right, search for right. the for the best hot dog in the country. What's your like one place in the country all time favorite place? Well, let me give you an East and West Coast because right. we have a national. That's cool. Okay, yeah. East Coast would be. Um, in Compton, New Jersey, there's a hot dog called the Ripper. 
mm. and they deep fat fry it until it rips apart. Oh no! And uh, I, I'm, I'm a big big fan of there. It's called Rutz Hut, R U T T apostrophe S. Rutz Rutz Hut, right? And you get the ripper. And you get the ripper. Okay. And uh, you can get a different amounts of rip. <laughs> they deep fat yeah. fried to different All levels right. of charbroiled. East, East Coast, West Coast. And then coast. on the West Coast in a little town in Alameda in, or in the San Francisco Bay yeah. Area, which you know well, right? Um, there's a Korean fusion hot dog place uh, <laughs> where it's a, an American hot dog with Korean toppings, which I can't tell you about because I don't yeah. under, do Korean cooking, but they are, it, it is terrific. And I love the name of the place. It's called Doggy Style. <laughs> so I'll let your right. imagination there, go with that one. All right. There you go, friends. You heard it here first uh, on the Bill Press Show. In terms of microfinancing, yes. Um, just so the people understand it first, right? right? I mean, the name kind of says it all, mm-hmm. right? But who, who are the candidates? Who are you helping? What is the impact? The target is deeply, deeply impoverished people in the developing world, largely. I'm generalizing for the brevity right. here, um, who are off the economic ladder. They're not part of our economic system in any meaningful sense of that word. We give them a small business loan, $25, $250, $500, $100. And with that, they start small neighborhood businesses. A lot of them are home-based and they're all based on things they grow up knowing how to do, how to grow vegetables, how to cook chickens, how to raise pigs, how to knit sweaters. Weaving or something. Whatever, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And these How are, do you find them? Well, the trick is to find organizations in country run by local people, so Bolivia for the Bolivians, Nepal, Nepal, you know, the yeah. Nepal-run organization, and we work with them. So our organization, MCE Social Capital, provides large uh, f- uh, financing packages, $100,000 up to $2 million, to local organizations, which then go out and organize and recruit these individual um, businesswomen. Are, are these grants, loans? No, these are business loans, interest-carrying business loans. The women borrow the money. They start their business. They make money. They repay them. Then, of which is terrific because one, it makes the whole project self-sustaining, but it also means that there's additional capital that comes back into the system to loan money to other women. So it's a uh, strictly women. Well, not strictly women, but there's a high emphasis on women. Our own particular program is eighty percent women, and the large uh, the reason for that largely is because women will take the profits and their um, um, and what they learn in the program and uh, put it back into the family, into their children, and so you start to uh, unwind the the cycle of poverty, whereas men sometimes will make terrific uh, decisions, but they're not child-centered. They might want to get a new roof for the house or new Mm. fencing or, you know, things that are beneficial but not as beneficial as helping children. This, This is kind of the opposite of the World Bank, isn't it, in the sense of, I mean, I think of the World Bank as doing these huge, a lot of government projects or mm-hmm. multi-gazillion dollar kind of things that maybe not really helping families or average people. Uh, I, I think it's a fair comparison, but I wouldn't want it to be a pejorative comparison. There's a role for both. You need mm-hmm. macro-industrial policy. It's yeah. Largely, um, um, microfinance is a response to, the, to a banking failure. 
banks not reaching these folks, a version of global redlining in effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so microfinance comes in and, and fills a gap in the same way that a nonprofit private health clinic in the United States would fill the, the gap of the absence of universal health care in the United States. You need both. Right. Now, do you have any gauge of um, the success level of these loans? And I, I do, actually, and let me just be very particular about it. First of all, to give you a data set, uh, we've provided loans to 2 million women in the 12 years since I started the organization. Wow. Again, for your listeners, if they want to look it up, it's MCE yeah. Social Capital. I was going to ask you that. MCE yeah, Social Capital. Um, and they can uh, just MCE go look at the- MCESocialCapital.com or- uh, that's a or, very good question. I don't yeah. actually okay. know, but if you Google it, or dot org, yeah, one or the other, yeah, MCE so, yeah. Social Capital probably dot com. I would think, but yeah. I don't really okay. know. Um, MCE SoCap dot uh, org. Uh, uh oh, there what it that? is. What is it? MCE SoCap dot org. Right, right. Yeah, See, that's very useful to have that. There it is. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> M- <laughs> MCE SoCap dot org. Yeah, right. check it out. We'll put, we'll put up a link on our website to make it easier for everybody. Thanks. All sorry. right. So two, so two in, million. Two million women cumulatively in, cumulatively in 10 years, basically, in 46 different countries around the Whoa. world. So that's the big number. Yeah. But the little number that's is remember, huge. Yes. But here's the data thing to, to bring it home. Most of the people we're reaching, most of these women, are living on maybe a dollar a day. I mean, these are really folks at the low end of the economic scale. They're not um, they're not in slavery. That's not that kind of deprivation, but the next level up. So if we increase their income by, say, 20%, and you and I would love a 20% salary increase, yeah. right, it's still only 20 cents a day. Yeah. So the image that we're getting them out of poverty is wrong. What we're doing is we're giving them choice, choice to get buy a little bit more protein for their uh, in the, their, their cooking for their children, a choice to buy a pair of shoes so their kids can walk to school, maybe for them uh, the woman to buy a warm coat at winter time. It's a choice mechanism. It's the same benefit that you and I have with our credit card. Mm-hmm. It gives us a little bit more flexibility in the marketplace. But again, in terms of how many of these loans to these oh. startup little businesses have actually. They pay the money back? Oh, uh, that's off the charts. Uh, In our program, it's over 99%. It is better better than uh, the uh, credit card repayment rate in the United States of America. If you had to make a choice, dollar for dollar, investing in an impoverished woman who has grit and determination and fights for her children versus investing in me or you, I'll take the woman. Hmm. Yeah, it's really, and you've that's been proven. Yeah, right? it, it's and and this it, this this is still going on, right? Oh and yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and um, in our particular model, um, we 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 uh, finance this with regular American bank loans. We're borrowing money, and then we're vetting organizations overseas and passing on that capital to them. And it's all done thanks to some um, high net worth individuals and foundations and companies that provide the guarantees for these loans. Um, when you and I were in Sacramento together, right. um, uh, Jerry Brown brought to Sacramento a famous British economist by the name of E.F. Schumacher, yes. but a wonderful little book called Small is Beautiful. Correct, I remember uh, that. Th- th- this this sort of, your operation kind of is the embodiment of that. Right, I'd update it and say small is gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> no, there we go. Uh, 
And now you also um, uh, have uh, our, so microfinance, one of your hot dogs, microfinance, right. and social entrepreneurship. What's it mean to be a social entrepreneur? What does that phrase mean? Quick answer is you are upset about some of the world's injustices, and you are developing, um, and uh, maybe I should say you're leveraging the tools of the marketplace to address them. So you're starting small businesses and hopefully someday large businesses that attack some of the most intractable problems on the face of the earth. Environmental problems, economic problems, race, gender, whatever. And that's what social entrepreneurship is. Uh, and with that social entrepreneurship, maybe underlying that, or the, maybe the first step in that social entrepreneurship is um, participation in the civic process, right? Well, it's one thing that you stress is that we in, yeah, in the book. Yeah, yeah, have an yeah, obligation. Yeah, yeah. You have an obligation to get off your ass and do something. Well, uh, yes, you don't in, say it that way, but I no, I will say it that way uh, with ass underscored a couple of times. We live in a particularly troubled political time, uh, to yes. put it mildly. I do not for those who are in the civic the civil society or who are social entrepreneurs, or community organizers, or anyone who has committed themselves to a career of conscience where they're working to make the world a better place, I don't think they can call themselves change makers unless they're also involved in civic activity. Politics right now is the battlefield. It's where it's at. And I talk about civic entrepreneurship, which is just a fancy name for getting involved in our political system. Government is the largest social venture in the world. And uh, all the work I've done, the two million the MC social capital, which I've started, and in the book I talk about other things that we've started, a program in Kenya that's a cattle, a Amazon program for deeply impoverished uh, people living in the slums around Nairobi. Mm -hmm. We now have 50,000 customers, we're growing. Many other examples of this, and, and I'm, I'm a modest practitioner. All of that pales in comparison to the challenge we have right now which is uh, doing something about the gentleman in the White House. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you make it very clear, like, yeah, in, it, it, yeah. that it, Trump is almost a, himself a call to action. Oh, absolutely. Right? You know, what I was struck by, in, in, among other things in reading the book, that I, I've debated so many so often, is how important, it is how important it is that people exercise the right to vote. Nothing pisses me off more. Well, I totally agree And I think you too. Yeah. Somebody who says, oh, why vote? It doesn't make any difference, right? Well, I would say two things to the people. First of all, in the hierarchy, even today, I much more respect a Trump voter than a non-voter. At least they're participating. I don't happen to agree with their viewpoint. I think they made a awful choice in the last election. It's something I could not do, but they did. But they're in the game. They're participating. They are part of our community, point one. The notion that you would disempower yourself seems to me to be insanity. I do not understand that logic and the argument that, well, you're just participating lesser of two evils. The lesser of two evils is less evil. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I happen to be in favor of less evil, right? And <laughs> It's so, a pretty radical position. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, it does yeah. strike me as, yeah. So it's befuddling to me too, but it's obviously conventional wisdom and it's something we have to fix in this country because we need to return to a politics of kindness, and that's sorely lacking right now. But So you encourage people 
in the book to look for any opportunity they can, even so voting is a minimum, right? The least that you can do. Right. But getting out, getting involved in civic organizations in your community, any way you can. I I like the phrase change maker. Yes. I mean, that's who we're all called to be. Right. Well, I think that's all who we are. Sometimes Mm. we're just a little lazy about doing it. And we find uh, cheap excuses, and I'm going to want to use that to uh, make false trade-offs. So I'm coaching my kid's soccer game. Yeah. So I'm, commi- I'm I'm helping the community. That's not a pass on being a voter. It's not a pass on paying attention to the need for hurricane relief. It's not a pass on forgetting the people who don't have health care. You you don't in the in the I think there's a moral imperative here, and I don't think it's actually even more acute now to go back to something else you said before, uh, because of Trump than than at any other time in our history. We've you and I have lived through some very bad times in this country, when we you know we're shooting, pill, killing people left and right in Vietnam and other yeah. times. So I'm not making a moral equivalency argument, but I'm also not making a non-moral argument. The book is a was a, a book of conviction for me. I was uh, reminded one of the best political speeches I ever heard uh, was Jesse Jackson, yes. 1988. I quote in, it. In Atlanta. I know you do. Yes. Uh, and I had forgotten how powerful this is. I just Go want, ahead, read I, it. I just want to read this um, from uh, the book again, The un- Unfinished Social Entrepreneur. Uh, this is Jesse Jackson at the Democratic Convention saying this is the role, this is the mission. Listen to this. This is the mission of the Democratic Party. Quote, Jesse Jackson, this is not a perfect party. We are not a perfect people. Yet we are called to a perfect mission. Our mission is to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to house the homeless, to teach the illiterate, to provide jobs for the jobless, and to choose the human race over the nuclear race. And he continues, my constituency is the desperate, the damned, the disinherited, the disrespected, and the despised. Yeah, I love oh, that. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I let me to go back to your other point. The people who are, he sounds like Pope Francis. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they probably get confused a lot when they're out <laughs> for dinner. I would think the the the, the, uh, the it's so easy to be cynical, right? And and that and the Jesse Jackson speech, he wasn't oblivious to the flaws in both the two party system and the flaws in government, and he has obviously been the, the, the fighting the establishment as a civil rights leader for years. He was not naive, but he wasn't cynical. Mm. And I think cynicism right now is a dangerous uh, refuge for people on left of center. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to give up. It's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be uh, to retreat from the public square. That is unacceptable. Well, I hear that a lot from my friends on the left in response to Donald Trump, right? Right. So a couple of questions to you. As uh, a social entrepreneur, yeah. uh, as a successful businessman in this microfinance area, how how dangerous do you th- see Donald Trump? Uh, is he to this country as president of the United States? I, I think very dangerous. It, and I, I, let me give you a bifurcated answer if I can. Yeah. I'm not yet at the point of apoplectically fearful that um, we're going to end up with a permanent tyranny in the White House. I mean, I don't see a coup, that kind of, you know, that horrific fear-mongering thing. 
But there's a corrosiveness here about the way he has um, normalized uh, meanness. And that doesn't strike me as, I mean, people use phrases of bringing out the best of Americans and all that stuff. That's a little uh, airy-fairy for me. I, I Just at a fundamental level, I think we need a politics of kindness. We need a politics of community where people have a sense of neighborhood. You know, when we were talking about voting, you know, when I vote, it's the, it's the civic analog to saying I love you and having someone else saying in my community, I, I, I love, love you, too. you yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. And we're forming a mutual partnership, a relationship of for the moment to be together in a neighborhood, in a community, in a nation. And I don't think he gets that. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have a clue. And to the, to the extent that it cements in that kind of um, hooded, hate-filled policies in our country, uh, that scares the hell out of me. Right. It really does. Uh, and it's reflected in his, I, I think, in in his position on health care, for example. Right. You, you uh, just know. issue that you, you yes. know a lot about. I've yeah. worked a lot about. Yeah, yeah and, no. It, and here he is. I mean, yeah, this this yeah, latest exactly. bill would take health care away from over 32 million Americans. And they don't seem, he doesn't seem to give a damn. Well, I, it, it's a little worse than that to me. You get the strong instinct, and I refer to it as the Trump Republican wasteland. There's... Um, in my book, I mean, mm-hmm. I refer to yeah. it that way. Um, there seems to be an obliviousness to the harm that thing uh, here, or that that the people who are uh, struggling a little bit, or who are really in desperate poverty, are just off the outside oh, yeah. the peripheral vision. Totally, and and that sure. just feels um, it feels like it strikes at our humanity when people can't yeah. be seen. And fundamentally, I would add, uh, un-American. Jonathan Lewis uh, is the founder of MCE Social Capital. Don't forget, it's mcesocap.org. The book available wherever you buy books and look for them is The Unfinished Social Entrepreneur. Uh, Jonathan Lewis, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Fantastic. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Bill Press Show.